We good? Okay, so, so essentially, saying, telling somebody, as we mentioned in part one, telling somebody that they can't reverse their diabetes is much like, uh, but you can manage your symptoms, much like somebody who's, who's overweight or obese and wants to uh, get healthier, and they say, hey, uh, doc, I want you to help me lower my weight by 50 pounds, and so I'm not obese anymore. And I can say, well, okay, I can help you lose 50 pounds and manage your weight, but you're still going to be obese. They'll look at me like, what? What are you talking about? I says, well, you know, once obese, always obese. doesn't matter what you weigh anymore. It's just that you've now crossed into that category, and you're going to be obese for the rest of your life. Uh, what, what should that patient say to me? Say, you're crazy, and they'd be right. That's illogical. It's not right. And so, so the, the, as I mentioned, Dr. James Anderson, when I was uh, just in my early training at Loma University, came and presented all this research that uh, over and over and over again had demonstrated in, in evidence-based published uh, journals that, that diabetes indeed was reversible. And in his case, he wasn't even really looking at a comprehensive lifestyle medicine program. He was putting people in a hospital. They're laying in a bed all day long, and they're just being fed a high-fiber plant-based diet. That's it. Okay? And they were reversing the majority of diabetes. And I would have said, well, that's not enough. You know, you got to do more than that. But he was able to show dramatic results just by putting somebody in a hospital on, on a better diet. Uh, so he, he had done uh, dramatic. Just, I just uh, added this slide today. This is a study from Newcastle University, one more of, of hundreds of studies that have been published. This was just a study done in, and published in the journal Diabetes Care, I believe in May of 2016, saying that, uh, and Dr. Dr. Taylor is saying, hey, you know, we were able to reverse the majority of, of diabetics in our study. In fact, people who had had diabetes for over 10 years were able to reverse their diabetes in our program. All natural, all diet-based, uh, lifestyle-based. So, so this is not a fringe approach. This is based on solid scientific evidence. It's just a question of whether you accept that evidence or not. Diabetes uh, can be undone. And if diabetes can be undone, certainly anybody with prediabetes can undo that. And anybody with insulin resistance, the, the very factor that drives our risk for Alzheimer's and cancer and, and autoimmune disease and all heart disease and stroke risk, all these factors, it's an undoable condition if we're willing to learn how to do it. So this is this is done by taking advantage of a comprehensive lifestyle medicine approach. I mentioned earlier that I had the privilege to be one of the founding uh, directors of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a, a, an organization that started out with just about 30 of us at Loma Linda University, and, and uh, an organization that almost went bankrupt because we spent too much on one of the conferences early on, and, and they were trying, how are we going to do this? And, and now it's an international organization with 1,000 people coming to their annual conferences. We have physicians and health professionals from all over the world every October uh, coming together at one of the conferences uh, in the United States. And so, so lifestyle medicine uh, can be used as a therapeutic intervention to prevent 
arrest and often reverse disease, and our model is treat the cause. And I would add to that, find the multiple triggers, the multiple causes, and aggressively address each one. And if we do that, the body will will get to that tipping point that is necessary for healing to begin to overpower the tendency to disease, disability, and dysfunction. So um, we talked about insulin resistance being this, this, uh, this, this underlying dramatic factor that lies underneath the surface of the water, so to speak, and we need to get to that. We, each of us needs to be the chairman of the board if we're to succeed. And that's why there's so many critics out there because they say, well, you know, I just want to be able to write a prescription and to give a pill to a patient. I don't want to have to spend hours explaining to them how to do this. But of course, there's options. Now, there was a study that just came out. <laughs> just came out in, in um, first quarter of 2016 that was revolutionary. And, and um, before I forget, I want to challenge everybody who's watching or, or here today to test yourself. Test yourself by maybe tomorrow morning getting up and, and making a whole bunch of pancakes and go ahead and put syrup on it, enjoy yourself. Eat that pancake breakfast, and then check your blood sugar. One hour after you have begun eating that breakfast, and then again at two hours, and if you're still high, check it at three hours, and if you're still high, check it at four hours. Check it out. Test yourself. There is no better strategy to evaluate your health than just checking your blood sugars after a meal. Now, those of you who are going to be participating in the Diabetes Undone workshop uh, or even even volunteering to to work with individuals who have diabetes or pre-diabetes or just simply want to figure out how to do this for themselves to prevent the likelihood, because it is a likelihood that everybody becomes pre-diabetic at some point, okay, or most individuals become pre-diabetic uh, at some point, that, that you can prevent that from ever happening and prevent all the complications that come with it. And so the single most important thing to do to uh, intervention strategy to either reverse diabetes or pre-diabetes or improve your health in any way is test yourself. Test, in this case, test your blood sugars before and one and two hours after meals. So one of the things that we're going to be telling people who want to be participants is that for two days prior to coming to the first session, if you want to do your homework and be ready ahead of time, Test your blood sugars. Make sure you have a a glucometer that works. Test your blood sugar before one and two hours after every meal for two days. Don't change anything. 
just live your life the way you've always lived it, whatever that is. Just this is your norm. You know, don't, I always laugh uh, at, a, at a good friend of mine who, who's diabetic, and, and uh, he, he was uh, a top executive, and he was diabetic, but he didn't really want to deal with it. Okay? And, 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 but he was actually one of my best friends, and so he would always be joking about his diabetes, and I was like, I'm trying to help him, right? And, and um, he says, well, I, you know, I have to get, I'm trying to get life insurance. And they're going to be checking my blood sugars. And they're going to be checking my hemoglobin A1C. And so, and so he says, I've been on the treadmill for an hour a day. And I'm, I'm, I'm not eating anything for weeks. Uh, getting ready for this blood test. Trying to beat the system. Okay. And so, so he's willing to put himself through, through uh, uh, trauma <laughs> to, to beat the test to get life insurance so that his wife can survive reasonably after he dies of a massive heart attack or stroke or complications of diabetes. And I'm going like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Where's the logic in this? It's good that you're getting life insurance, but why not just live? Why not just improve your health and live, not just live long, but live well? You can reverse this. Uh, but, But yeah, he was telling me about all this and and so they add, many times patients, about two weeks before they go have their annual physical, they go, oh, man, uh, my doctor's going to be checking my blood sugars. So they just literally starve themselves for two weeks, okay? And their, 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 their fasting blood sugars are, are much better than they would have been, right? Because they starved themselves for two weeks and maybe walked on a treadmill for an hour every day, okay? But there's a test that doctors use to be able to see who's trying to pull a fast one on them. Okay? And this is that, that test we talked about in part one, which is the, the caramelization test, that glycosylation test, that hemoglobin A1C test that literally measures uh, how high your blood sugars have been spiking, not just for a day or a week or two weeks, but for 120 days. The past 120 days, so unless you're willing to, to you know, starve yourself for 120 days, why not just do a diabetes undone program for two months or one month, continue to follow those strategies, and you're, you, you can potentially undo that diabetes in that amount of time, and you don't have to starve yourself, and you don't have to put yourself through trauma. So... Um, So I challenge all of us, tomorrow morning, make yourself a a high-carb breakfast. You can can make a whole bunch of potatoes, you know. You can can, uh, (laughs) eat a whole bunch of of cereal. That's high-carb, okay? Okay? And there's there's not that much fiber, and and even high-fiber cereals are still refined cereals for the most part. And they can shoot blood sugars up quickly. But, but just go ahead and you know, go to IHOP and just have a, have a family pancake breakfast. Okay, and check your blood sugar. See? See what happens. That's what we do with a glucose tolerance test, right? It's really valuable information. Because, see, the, the biggest problem as I work with many patients who have diabetes or prediabetes is that the vast majority of them are clueless about what their blood sugars are after a meal. 
most of them have some idea of what their blood sugars are fasting in the morning before breakfast because that's the time most diabetics are told to check their blood sugars. But, uh, and that's, that's valuable. A fasting blood sugar is critical to understand, but it is the least sensitive of the tests. A blood sugar after a meal is like, is like 100 times more relevant than a blood sugar before a meal. And so I say, let's find out the differential. Let's check your blood sugar before the meal, and then let's see what happens to your blood sugar change differential after consuming different meals. And so, so check yourself, which of course means that you have to have a working, functional, accurate glucometer of some form. And there's all kinds of them available. Every family should have their own glucometer so that you can check yourself and go, huh, how am I doing here? Um, don't make the mistake I did. One day I, I decided I was going to do a glucose tolerance test in, in, at my clinic. And so I, I went to uh, the nurse's station and said, hey, I'm going to do a, a four-hour glucose tolerance test. And so I'm just going to hang out in the doctor's lounge, and then uh, every half hour or hour I'm going to come in and you'll draw my blood, and, and then I just want to see how I'm doing. You know, I, I want to know too. I'm human. I, I have my risk factors. I've got to control them, right? So... so um, I, I just had my fasting draw, and I, I go drink this glucola, like a, like a sweet soda, carbonated drink that the lab gives me, and I drank that down, and then I was going to be checking my own blood sugars just to track myself every half hour, just, just for having a second documentation of my blood sugar. So, so I, I, drink the, I drink that sweet soda, and then about five minutes later, I check my blood sugar, and I'm watching it count down. And then all of a sudden I see 314. And, and I did a double take. I go, 314? What is that, the time of day? Like, that can't be my blood sugar. And, and, and it was a blood sugar reading. And so I, I stopped for a second. And, and, and these thoughts are just screaming through my head. And, and I'm thinking, I've become a type 1 diabetic, and I didn't even know it? How, how could this be? And... and um, and so I just, I just like, okay, Wes, calm down. Take a deep breath. And so I'm going like, what does this mean? Right? <laughs> I'm the expert, right? What, what does this mean? <laughs> and so and as I'm thinking, what does this mean? I'm kind of rubbing my fingers together, and I feel a little sticky on my fingers. And I went, ah, oh. I had gotten some of that glucose solution from the drink onto my finger, and when I stuck my finger, the blood mixed with a whole bunch of pure glucose syrup. So when you eat your pancakes or whatever it is tomorrow morning, and you put some, <laughs> some syrup on it, make sure your fingers are washed and clean before you check your blood sugars, because otherwise you might actually have uh, uh, an inaccurately elevated blood sugar. So... Um, anybody wanting to be involved in this program, I encourage for two days, check blood sugars before, one hour after the beginning of the meal, two hours after the beginning of the meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's nine times. That's a lot. But we're doing an experiment. We're trying to establish what is your normal pattern of blood sugar 
ups and downs during the day for two days. Okay? Get baseline data. I have so many patients that come to me and says, you know, my blood sugars aren't doing any better with this program. I go, really? So, well, what were your blood sugars uh, after eating before you started? Oh, I never checked my blood sugars after meals. I said, that's why you don't think you're doing better, because you didn't get accurate baseline data. And, and most people have no idea their, their fasting blood sugars might be running, you know, if they're pre-diabetic, 100, 105, 110. Or if they're diabetic, they might be running, you know, 150 or maybe 200 or even higher. It just depends on the individual. So, yeah, you know what your fasting blood sugar is, but if you're running a, a fasting blood sugar of 110, chances are after a meal you could be 200. If you're running a blood, fasting blood sugar of 130, chances are after a meal you could go to 300, and so on. Okay, so you need to know what your normal tendency is prior to making any changes. Otherwise, you're going to become cynical and say, you know, all this work I put into this, it didn't seem to really help me. When in fact, it has dramatically improved your blood sugars, you just don't know it because you didn't check. Okay, so, so this is critical. So, so do that for two days without changing anything. Now, if somebody comes to the program next Thursday night for session one, and, and they didn't know about this, or for some reason didn't do it, then now they got to do that. Okay, so that's the first, first assignment, two days of checking blood sugar without changing anything. Okay, with the exception of having that pancake breakfast the next morning. Let's just see. How does my body respond to carbohydrate loads? That's the most sensitive test to see that there's a problem. When the blood sugars go up like that, that increases the risk for everything. Do you know that even ha having a one-hour blood sugar, one hour after eating any food, if your blood sugar goes above 155, which is not that high <laughs> for, for a lot of us, that is an independent risk factor for heart attacks and strokes, just above 150. And a lot of people are running 150 before meals, thinking that, hey, you know, I feel fine. I don't need to be in the hospital, so I must be okay. So, so, <clears throat> so that's, that's my challenge to you tonight. The first step is, is learn about your tendencies for a period of two days, even if you don't come to diabetes undone. Check yourself out. You'll be amazed at the results that you find. And then when you start implementing the strategies, you'll go, wow, I had no idea that these strategies were so powerful. And now are you motivated to keep doing them? Yes, because you've seen the impact. So after two days, after two days, what I actually suggest to most of my patients is don't change anything. Don't change, keep eating exactly like you always have but just change one thing, what would that be? Yeah, just one thing is walk immediately after meals. That's the first thing I would change. Why? Because it's a lot easier to do that than to change your diet, <laughs> number one, okay? And people can quickly see the power of after-meal exercise uh, and when, they, when they're finally convinced of the value of doing it, because how many of us really, really can't wait to go walking right after meals, right? It's just not, it's, it's just not a natural thing for most of us to go, hey, hey, mom, hey, dad, can I go walking after I eat? 
You know, so, so most of us are like, hey, I want to read the paper or watch the news or just chill after I eat. But that's the worst thing you can do because immediately after eating, the blood sugars are starting to spike. And so the sooner that you can do light, not hard exercise, we're talking a light to moderate exercise, just walking. Uh, if you can't walk, do some upper body exercises. Find something that you can do. Don't, don't say, I can't exercise because of my knee or my back or my hip or whatever. Ask the question, what can I do? And do that. And even if it's just 10 minutes, you can lower your blood sugars from one to three points for every minute that you walk or do similar comparable light to moderate exercise immediately after finishing your meal. So when you check your blood sugar at one hour and again at two hours, if you have added that exercise, and let's just say you get motivated like Tom Zapara we discussed uh, during part one, um, and he, he decided he was just going to walk for 45 minutes after breakfast. Remember, his one-hour blood sugar was above 300, and he didn't even know he had prediabetes. Okay? And, so, and so just a 45-minute walk after breakfast would lower his blood sugar up to a hundred, nearly a hundred and fifty point differential. This is the difference between an out of control diabetic and, and a blood sugar that's just a little bit high. So, so for two days, no changes at all. Just check, record that, make a little note of what you ate. You don't have to have a detailed diary. Just make a couple notes. Uh, I ate, you know. Uh, Pancakes <laughs> and syrup, okay, or cereal and milk, uh, or uh, a hamburger and french fries, whatever it is. Just, let's just make a little note, and now you can see those two days. They'll always be in your record, okay, so you can see what happens when you do that, okay? And then you add exercise after as many meals as possible. So I recommend at least 10 minutes, but, you know, it's up to you. So how far do you want to reverse this? And so you can... You can get dramatic decreases just because of that, and you do that for two days, just, just that for two days. And then you start introducing the other strategies, and you start introducing the meal balancing strategies and the, the, um, the, the optimal nutritional strategies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of lifestyle medicine strategies that we'll be addressing in a significant educational awareness building way during the Diabetes Undone series. Um, and, and now, uh, one, at that point, you can start maybe saying, you know, I don't really need to check it at one and two hours. I only need to check it at two hours if you're diabetic, or just one hour if you're pre-diabetic. So you'll know pretty quickly whether it's valuable to you to check, you know, how many times to check during the day. And we'll be guiding you through that process. So, so let's get back to this study about pancakes. <laughs> this amazing study at UCLA um, uh, showed that fructose, high fructose corn syrup, any high fructose containing food other than whole fruit. We're not talking about fruit here. We're talking about processed foods that use fructose to sweeten it. Okay, fructose alters hundreds of brain genes which lead to a wide range of diseases. Boom! It just, just a study that just came out from UCLA, and, 
And it's, uh, it was just an amazing study. Um, uh, another another um, news agency showed this picture. You know, you go into any gas station or convenience store and like, you got all these sodas. And I just, I just had a patient yesterday say to me, he says, are you telling me I can never have a Coke again? I said, you know, I'm not making that decision. You make that decision. He said, I'm just, you just need to know what the research shows and what's going to happen. Okay, bottom line is that fructose is essentially a liver toxin. High fructose corn syrup is a liver toxin. In fact, another researcher recently uh, went, went um, to, uh, to the point of saying that high fructose corn syrup is so toxic to the liver, it should be, in the, it should be considered in the same category as alcohol relative to liver toxicity. Boom. <laughs> You're like, are you, that, that, that's really hitting it hard. And, and in other words, we're potentially doing equal harm to our health by consuming, well, it's, you know, most of those foods right there are, are not only vegetarian, but they're vegan. Right? There's no animal products there. Okay? So in other words, being vegetarian, I'm not downing vegetarianism and vegan. I, I seek to eat as close to vegan as possible. I believe it's worthwhile. But the real issue is what you eat, not what category you consider yourself in. Because there's all kinds of foods that are vegan that are horrible for you. And it's largely related to refined, high-sugar, high-carbohydrate-containing foods that are, that are refined, that, that are, are toxic to the liver, but now we're understanding it's also significantly toxic to the brain. Did, did you hear what this UCLA study said? Hundreds of genes in the brain changed, basically increasing the risk of brain disease and other diseases simply because somebody insists on the right to consume high fructose corn syrup containing uh, uh, liquids and foods. And you know what? You have the right to do that. I will fight for the right to you be able to eat anything you want. I will. Okay? But don't expect me or the government to pay for your health problems when you end up having them. Right? Because that's on you. You need to be the, 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 the chairman or the chairwoman of the board for your health and take full responsibility for what's going on. My role is to give you an awareness of how to accomplish that. Now, uh, another, another uh, a journal and, and news agency actually put it this way, and, and you, can, um, you can barely see this. Actually, let me turn around and see this. It says, uh, right underneath uh, those, those different drinks, it says, this is from the, the newsletter Currents in Biology. It says, I'm pretty sure that this cannot be true, this idea that fructose alters hundreds of brain genes, which can lead to a wide range of disease. I'm pretty sure this cannot be true because I saw an ad from the corn industry that said high fructose corn syrup is actually good for you. <laughs> Tongue in cheek there. And so very, very revealing uh, information about, uh, about our health. Um, trying to think about 
<laughs> how much further go? Oh, okay, I'm going to go for just a few more minutes. Um, so we've been, you've been challenged to optimize your blood sugars. Let me tell you the story of Michael. Michael, uh, I first saw Michael uh, one afternoon in my clinic as I was actually conducting a diabetes workshop right in one, one of the classrooms in my clinic. And, and we had a big boardroom table, and, uh, and we had about 10 people sitting around this big boardroom table attending this series of, uh, of dealing with diabetes, and in comes Michael. And Michael was, was, was uh, using a walker and was being, was being kind of uh, helped along by his wife, which was kind of making sure he wouldn't fall, and he was literally going about this fast. And, and I, was, I was doing my lecture, and I, I, I was being distracted by Michael. He had to walk all the way around the boardroom table to find two seats for, he, for his wife and him uh, on the other side. And so it, was, it literally took him about three minutes to get from the door around the table to his side. And everybody's kind of looking at him and, and trying to pay attention to what I was saying. And I just happened to be talking about the value of after-meal exercise. And, and, and so as I'm being distracted by Michael coming around, you know, doing his snail pace uh, entrance, I remember thinking to myself, well, there's somebody that's not likely going to be following my advice today. Because just, just to go about 15 feet had taken him so many minutes. And, and so, uh, you know, I continued with my talk, and I, I, I gave all these pointers, how you can lower your blood sugars by so many so many, by one to three points for every minute that you exercise immediately after a meal, light to moderately. Um, and, and then I saw him in my office a few days later, uh, it talked about the comprehensive program. And so, so three weeks later, he came to see me. Three and a half weeks later, we did, we did some testing. So here his baseline and three and a half week lab test. First of all, his weight, when he first came in to see me, was 230 Three and a half weeks later, it's already down nine pounds. Okay? That doesn't happen by chance. He was doing something. Okay? Then, uh, by the way, <laughs> I didn't tell you how he, ended up, how he ended up learning about diabetes. He's just driving, minding his own business down the road, and boom, gets sideswiped. Uh, and, and, and almost flips his car uh, because his car runs into him. And so he's in the emergency room, uh, all beat up. And uh, the doctor comes up in the emergency room and says, uh, Michael? And Michael goes, uh, yeah, that, that's me. He says, uh, Michael, how long you had diabetes? And Michael goes, oh, you, you got the wrong guy. There must be another Michael here because I don't have diabetes. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so the guy, he says, Michael, last name? So, well, yeah, that's me, but that, I don't have diabetes. And his doctor says, yeah, you do. Michael says, no, I don't. And the doctor says, yeah, you do. Let me show you. Let me show you these blood sugar levels. Because you're fasting blood sugar. This is a fasting blood sugar, 278. It should be 70 to 80. Diabetes begins, pre-diabetes begins at 100, and diabetes begins at 126. And he was like, more than double that. So, and so the doctor says, Michael, there's no question. You got diabetes. You just didn't know it. You're just lucky you got into this accident. He was, wasn't so sure about that because he was all beat up. But you know what? He decided 
He was going to research this, and he was going to do something about it. So just as soon as he was uh, uh, admitted out of the hospital, released from the hospital, he he came to our, our, our lifestyle medicine clinic, and he started this comprehensive program to deal with his problem. And so... You know, his, his, uh, his hemoglobin A1C was 10.8. It was just like, he was like sugar-coated everywhere, right? And three and a half weeks later, his hemoglobin A1C had dropped more than two and a half points, which is unheard of. I mean, it's just dramatic drop, in the hemo- especially a test that should take 120 days to fix. He had already largely improved it in just three and a half weeks. And his fasting blood sugar, 90 in three and a half weeks. And so I'm sitting there with his chart in front of me as I'm talking to Michael and his wife. And I said, Michael, incredulously, I'm going, Michael, what did you do? This is amazing. And he looked at me somewhat perturbed. He says, what are you talking about? The very first day I came into your clinic, it's taken me three minutes to walk around to sit down, and, and all I'm hearing is how important it is to walk after meals, okay? And, and, and so I, even before I sat down at that boardroom table, I had already decided that I was going to walk for 30 minutes after every meal. And I'm looking at Michael and says, What? I mean, this, this is a guy that took him three minutes to walk 15 feet. I said, what do you mean you walked? He says, what do you mean, how, how did I walk? I just grabbed my walker and I did this. And then I get tired and I do this. And then I grab my walker and do some more exercise. And I was, what's the right word? I was embarrassed that I had not had faith in him. I had not realized the resolve that was in his heart. It doesn't matter how beat up somebody is. If somebody's willing to figure out a way, they can. Remember that quote from Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And he decided, he decided like Norman Cousins said many years ago, don't Don't deny the diagnosis. Embrace it and then defy it because we can't. Diabetes can be undone. And if diabetes can be undone, what about all these other conditions that are driven by it? That can be undone too. You can do it. Thank you. All right.